0: welcome to the social fishing podcast my name is reese creed i'm a passionate angler and i want to share as much as i can about the sport we all love on this podcast we speak to incredible anglers sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge all to help you reach your fishing dreams thanks for joining us today now let's begin G'day, everyone, and welcome to episode 39 of the Social Fishing Podcast. Now, I know it has been a couple of weeks since our last podcast. Lots has been happening, but I'm super pumped to finally release this one for you guys. I know a lot of you guys do a lot of driving, bit of work, and it's your. T- this is what you love about the podcast is you can sit and listen to it at work or in the car, and it gives you your fishing fix, especially through this bit of COVID lockdown that we're going back into, especially for Victorians, so it couldn't be more timely, and we haven't added absolute iconic legend in the freshwater fishing world on this episode with me. I'm going to be talking to Andrew McGovern. He is an absolute top bloke, an absolute legend. It was a really good chat and he went off on some amazing tangents throughout the whole episode and talked about so many different things that I didn't even think we would get to touch on, some things I wouldn't even didn't even know myself. I learned so much from this and it's a really easy listen because Andrew is just great to talk to and it really went extremely well. So I can't wait to jump into this episode with you guys and share plenty of content. Now, we actually covered quite a lot of stuff, but this episode is based around trout. I wanted to talk about trout because we do a lot on big cod, especially now being winter, but now is a good time also to target trout. So if you do love fishing for trout, you are going to absolutely love this episode. But if you don't fish for trout, don't just turn this episode off now. If you're just a cod, solely cod fisherman, don't just turn it off because he does touch on a few things about cod. also touched on a few things about golden perch but a lot of the stuff we talk about is extremely knowledgeable and it will help you in any style of fishing there's so many cool things that andy talks about that you can apply to lots of different styles of fishing it's also a really good chat talk about andrew's background how he got into fishing why he loves it and you'll actually get to know him a little bit more i he opened right up and we talked about some incredible things so it's a really good listen really good chat even if you don't fish for freshwater fish you're going to enjoy this episode. So, a little bit of a breakdown about what is involved in this episode. First of all, we talk about why Andrew loves bank fishing so much. Why does he have a passion for it? And we do touch a lot on bank fishing in this episode and why he does it. And the fact that sometimes it can be more successful than fishing from a boat. We also get to know a bit of his background, how it all started for him, his favorite fish to target and his favorite style of fishing, how effective it is to fish from the bank. So a bit more detail on bank fishing. He talks about things called trout highways in lakes and dams, which are very, very important to find and it helps with catching plenty of fish, so there's things called trout highways. Then we talk about the variables that affect fishing and how to determine where the fish will be holding. Um, some areas that Andrew focuses on for Lake Trout, how water temperature and the wind affect trout in impoundments, we go boat versus bank, Andrew's opinions. Obviously, a bit more on bank stuff there. The best lure to use in the dark for trout. And then we get on to a little bit of stuff about natives and trout in this, towards the end where he talks about being aware of your surroundings and understanding how fish behave. There's one really cool part where he talks about modifying a lure to imitate the bait that the fish were feeding on. It was an incredible part, probably one of my favorite, most favorite parts of this podcast. And then we talk about how barometer affects trout and then Andrew's most memorable catch. It's a jam-packed episode. I talked to Andy for over an hour and a half. So you guys have an hour and a half ahead of you of some exciting stuff. Once again, thank you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast. If you do enjoy it, please share your support for us. Please share your support for the podcast. Share it. If you have a social media account take a screenshot of what you're listening to it on, take a photo of your radio in your car, tag us, put it on your story, post it on your wall, share it around so that we can get more people listening to this awesome content so we can keep creating these awesome episodes for you guys. The feedback we get from you is incredible uh, and for everyone who does share and tag and like and go and put comments on Apple Podcasts, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for your support and we'll continue to try and get out as many episodes as we can. That's enough from me, guys, so let's jump into this episode with the one, the only, Andrew McGovern. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. I'm super pumped for this episode because, as you as you would know by clicking on this episode, I have Andrew McGovern with me. He's a legend in the freshwater fishing world, well, in the fishing world, full stop. But, Andrew, mate, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to have a chat with me today.
1: Hey, uh, Recy. Mate, um, really good to uh, have the opportunity to chat to you and uh, feel a bit privileged, mate. You've got a bit of a who's who in your previous podcast but certainly been some uh, great well accomplished uh, freshwater anglers you've had so yeah thanks for the opportunity
0: Pleasure's mine. I'm actually really privileged to have you on, and and it goes for a lot of the people I have on. I just feel like I'm, you know, just someone who has this little podcast, whereas the people I talk to, are, are anglers who really know what they're doing. So I do appreciate it, and I'm super pumped not only to learn heaps from you because there's there's so much that you know that many others don't, and but also to give people the access to the knowledge you have uh, and help them get out there and catch fish. So we're going to be talking about, which is good because talking about something different to what we have had quite a lot of in recent months um, because we have been talking a lot about this big cod scene, but there's a lot of people out there who might not have a boat, who prefer trout, who bank walk, and that's why it's going to be good to talk to you. Before we jump in, you spend a lot of time bank walking, and is there a reason, I want to just wanted to ask you, is there a reason for that? Do you just prefer that style of fishing? Yeah, look,
1: mate. I don't. I don't know if there's a reason. I I um. I do prefer. I, I like the fact that you get a bit of exercise rather than just uh, uh, sitting in a boat or moving a boat around. Yeah. I think the other thing with when you when you're on the bank, you tend to con. You're concentrating on specific pockets of water, so you've got to think a little bit more about where you're going to pull your boat up or where you're going to actually walk into or where you're going to start your fishing. So rather than just with the bait, you've almost got the whole waterway open to you. So in some ways, you're sort of in the back of your mind. You go, well, I can fish anywhere I want. Whereas once you're on the bank, you sort of go, right, I've got to really concentrate on this half a kilometre or 300 metre stretch of water, whether it's trout, cod, yellow belly, whatever it is. So um, other, yeah. Yeah, So yeah. And the other thing is too, a lot of the fish, whether it's a native or introduced fish, they're feeding near the edge. Um, and sometimes boat noises can spook fish and alert them to your presence. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. you're walking the bank, if you've got a good stealth approach, you stay a bit back from the shore, you're getting those feeding fish in the edge. They're generally around the edge to feed. They're not there just because they're uh, cruising through. So therefore, if you're on the bank, just to me, you tend to open up a few more opportunities and you tend to concentrate just just your efforts a little bit better. Mm
0: yeah 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 i would totally agree and i'll back that up i will we'll talk a bit more about the the bank walking as we get further on um but yeah i just want to ask you that question straight up but 100 percent agree with you it's not like fishing from a boat gives you 100 percent more advantage there's times when bank walking can outweigh fishing from a boat doesn't it absolutely yeah
1: i mean look if, yeah. there is an advantage having a boat because if you know, the weather turns bad or the fish just aren't around the edges, then it does open up that waterway to you, whether you're on a a big river or one of the impoundments. So there certainly are some advantages with a boat because you can access everywhere, but when it comes to the fishing, I use is my boat just to get to a bank and then jump out and fish around that area.
0: Let's go, for people who don't know uh, who you are or maybe people who, who know who you are in terms of the, the, the stuff you've written for magazines and all the contribution you've had to, you know, fishing, people just to get a little bit more of an understanding of how fishing started for you, where it all started, why you have such a passion for fishing because you do so much of it, you travel the salt, the fresh, can we go right back, do you remember remember your first moment where you fell in love with fishing? How did this passion start? Did it start from a kid or or did it start later on? Can you go through the story for us?
1: Yeah, mate, I I suppose I'm pretty fortunate. A lot of people might say I'm unfortunate that I was Canberra born and bred. Um, So, we had, you know, we've got the Snow Mountains within two hours. We've got the South Coast within two hours. We've got the 70 kilometres of the Murrumbidgee River that run through the ACT, uh, we've got numerous impoundments in the ACT that are all stocked fisheries with native fish. Uh, we've got the Longlow River, and we're not far from the Monero region the trout stream. So, we've got the best of everything. You know, we can go marlin fishing down off, um, you know, the bay within a within a two-hour drive. Yep. We can chase deweys up the top of the Clyde uh, if we want to go down to Nelligen, and we've got all the freshwater on mention. So. And, uh, mate, look, my, my, like a lot of people, my passion sort of came from my old man. Um, Dad was really keen, predominantly trout angler. Did a little bit around Burrajack and chased you know, silver perch and cod and yellow belly back in yep. the 70s. And, but it, was, it, it more stemmed from Dad. And I think um, the fortunate thing I – and I didn't know at the time when I was probably five or six on my first few trips with Dad – is he had me lure fishing when it wasn't really known too much, um, mm-hmm. you know, throwing tiger minnows and seltzers around. And this is in the, you know, the, the sort of early to mid-1970s, uh, fishing places like the Numarella River and Goodra Digby chasing trout, uh, probably chasing brown trout on lures. And I didn't. it's not until now, as I got older, I started to realise, well, you know, Dad was a bit ahead of, of his time. The other thing is... Um, and I've sort of found this out off a few of my cousins who fished with Dad. You're probably aware, mate, that um, my dad died when I was pretty young, when I was only 11, in a car accident. And But I'd already had the, the fishing bug really implanted. Um, yeah. So it was, it was almost, I think it was in my DNA anyway, from from when I was born. I think a lot of anglers can relate to that. But what, it wasn't until I started learning a bit more about fishing in my 20s that I was really realised realise how far... Um, how cutting edge some of the stuff that dad did and that was like you know in the 60s he was wearing polaroid sunglasses and that was like a and it was only because of through his work he had contacts with a lot of americans uh, and canadians who were fishermen and you know they were as as we know you know the americans and the canadians were f- fairly advanced compared to australians and this is well before the you know the internet and youtube and all those sorts of things so Dad was, yeah. Dad was using Polaroid sunnies to walk the good ridigby to actually polarise Polaroid, you know, trout in the in the early 70s. So um, I was fortunate that I certainly didn't have a pair of sunnies when I was a six-year-old, but, you know, that I started actually learning a bit about stream craft and um, how to work lures with the current, not against it, and how, where trout would sit and what trout lies would be. So I was... I didn't know it at the time, and it's, you know, as I... As I, as I said, as I got older, I started to realise how much I did learn just by being with dad and watching him fish. So I'm lucky from that aspect, mate.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually didn't know that about your dad, so I'm real, real sorry to have heard that. But I guess you, you would carry a bit of him with you in the fishing. The fact that he taught you fishing would have mate, would have helped you it's so, after you lost him. It's so true, Rhys. It's,
1: um, mate, even to this day, um, it, it's, it's still my connection with him. I know it sounds yeah. a little bit corny and a little bit, you know, um, I don't know. It, it sounds can sound a bit strange, but, you know, I've talked to a few other people who have lost close friends or, um, you know, brothers or siblings or, you know, um, other relatives and it's amazing yeah. how fishing is that thing where, mate, to this day, I can, uh, quick little sidetrack story, but... Mate, brown, brown trout for me are um, uh, when I smell a brown trout. I know this sounds really weird. They've got a different smell to me to any other fish, and it just reminds me of my old man. Because when I, mm. I when I was a kid and I couldn't, I was too young to go fishing. Dad had come home and he'd always bring three or four nice brownies home for the table, and he used to put them into our laundry tub at our old house in Page. And I remember being so little, I used to put my hands on the edge of the, um, the sink and sort of look my, lift my head over and I've got that smell of brown trout. And it still sticks with me to this day. You know, I'll go up to Gindervawn or Yukonburn or Tantanga and pull in a brownie and you get that waft and, mate, I can close my eyes and my old man's there helping me out. So I think I've, I've, oh, yeah. I reckon uh, there's, there's something there where... And I think, you know, some of the fish I've caught over the years, particularly trout, some of the bigger ones, you know, well, he's got that feeling. The old man's been looking down on me and giving me a little bit of a, you know, nudge and a mm. sort of helping hand. So I might be getting him some divine intervention or something, mate.
0: Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, like I know, I know we're talking about fishing and and this what this whole podcast is about. But there's more important things in life, obviously. And to have something like that happen, like I'd I have, I couldn't imagine what it, what it was like growing up. Like eleven, that's just way too young to lose your your father. But to have that connection to him. Would have been something like, as you just explained, something so good to carry you through. Because a lot of people probably wouldn't have had that kind of a thing that reminded them or a connection. To you know, a parent that they've lost. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. mate. Very true. That's good. That's good. So that's where. It, so that's where it all started. And and he taught you. So you obviously remembered quite a lot from being very young, because eleven is still not old. So he had you out fishing from from day dot, and that's just it carried. Did it? Do you reckon you you would you would have fished if he was still here? You would have continued to fish just as much um, as you do now. But you were already in love with the sport. Um, bef- when you've lost him, so then you just continue to do it because you loved it and had the passion.
1: Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I think I think the other thing too is that I suppose as through my early teens and and a lot of people <coughs> that I spoke to over the over the years were a little bit the same. But through your teens, you've got it, it just gives you like you said it's a passion. You know, like in a lot of other people, you know, you play other sport, you play footy, you play cricket, whatever. But fishing was always that real leveler. You know, it mm-hmm. um, it was. It didn't matter your educational background. It didn't matter your your qualifications. Didn't matter you know ethnicity. It didn't matter about anything else. Is fishing could bring people you know can bring people together. And I've got lots and lots of mates now. But, and you're probably the same mate that that you probably did if you didn't have fishing you wouldn't have be you wouldn't have become friends with them. But that common yeah, interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. common interest you've got that bond and. You can go away with people and spend a weekend with with people you probably would never ever cross paths with if it wasn't for fishing and the outdoors. And it's uh, there's so much more to the sport, and it's it's more than a sport. It's a it's a passion. It's a past pastime, and it's just um it's a way of life. You know, like it's we have everything else. You know, you got to go to work and living and pay mortgages and pay your taxes mm. and so on. But mate, fishing is what drives so much of us. And um, you know, and I suppose the people listening to this podcast or either... One sort of, you know, nodding their head, going absolutely, and and we, and that's what I just love so much about it is that there's such a diversity as well. You've got these absolute nutters out there that all they do is go and chase cod at night, you know, through winter, and, and, and will yeah. cast for for ten hours for one bite. And you've got other guys who'll go and you know sit on a bank and put out a couple of scrub worms for some trout. And both both those anglers are still having as much getting rewarded as much and a break from the the rigors of life. As each other, mm. um, but they've just mm. got th- different things that drive them. Exactly, it's, it's great. It's
0: a great sport. It's yeah. It's it's there's so many different variety in the sport. Is pretty much one thing you're getting at there. It's like this fishing affects so many people because those two styles of fishing you explained are so different, but yet it's still the same end goal and and feeling you get from being out there on the water. So, yeah, you're 100% right on it. And one thing I wanted to to ask you about is you would have, I know you've got a boy yourself, you would have raised him, did you raise him the same way? He was out there with you fishing from as soon as he could walk and now he's just taken on that passion as well?
1: Yeah, mate, absolutely. Uh, Mitch was coming with me from, I think, I think the first fishing trip I took him, he was not quite two. And I was talking to Bar- yep. talking to Burrenjuk, uh for the Baranjak Convention in November with the which is with the Canberra Fisherman's Club, and um, mate, I still remember we um, I think we nailed about a dozen nice silver perch on on worms. We got a few carp. And I think we might have trolled up a yellow belly um, back on that trip. And uh, I remember he came home. He got a big infection on his toe, and he was supposed to go into I think he gets some, something done, I think he's uh, toothed out or something, and uh, he couldn't go in because he had this big infection on his toe from his fishing trip. So, yeah, no, it was, <laughs> so it was, it was a good uh, good uh, baptism of fire for him.
0: Yeah. Were you worried that he wouldn't um, come to it? Like, were you worried that he wouldn't enjoy fishing or you knew that it was just – or it didn't bother you? This... Um,
1: mate, I made it – the thing – I think a lot of people, and I've, I've done a lot of talks about this and we've run a lot of fishing clinics for parents with – the kids, because there's a lot of parents out there who don't know where to start. The kids go, "Mum, Dad, I want to go fishing." Particularly mums, there's a lot of single mums out there who want to take their kids fishing, boys and girls. And what I found, what you know, the advice I gave them, I said, "Make the trip about the kids, like don't." And this is, I think, mate, getting back to a very original question about why I bank fish. I think it was almost morphed from my very early days of taking both my kids fishing, is that it can get pretty bored pretty quick in a boat, whereas you pull up on a bank, yeah, you can put a bait or two out, put a spin rod in their hand. If they get bored, there's plenty to do on the bank. They're going to turn some rocks over, you know, try, yeah. to, try to catch some yabbies. So I think, oh, make it, if, if you are, a, you know, just starting out, it's all, make it about the kids. Don't make it about you. You need to sort of put your expectations of a fishing trip. You know, I'd love to go out and work the trees with some lures for some, for some yellows and some cod, but... That's going to, they're going to get pretty bored pretty quick, so let's do a bit of bait fishing. Put some baits out. We might bang a few carp, which they don't really at, at two or three or five years old. They're not going to care. They still pull. They're no. a fish, so yep. catch a few carp and it gets them interested. And then all you know, and then you sort of graduate up to a little bit, you know, a bit of spinning. Put on something simple like a soft plastic, which you can wind slow, fast, whatever. You're still going to. Uh, it's not going to get snagged too badly. You're going to catch them and give them a chance, but all of a sudden once they start spinning they're doing an active type of fishing um and again from the bank and as soon as they get that first hit or first fish it's just like you know they're set the, the, the excitement's there that it's built into them so in yeah. answer your question i wasn't worried um, if they didn't want to then obviously I'd let them go off and do their own thing but um yeah they're both both pretty keen fishermen now all yes. getting the outdoors
0: yeah, it's good and it is good for you and and it obviously works well, especially if you can share a passion that you had with your old man and then with your son and it's just as good as it gets. But obviously, if they're not into it, it's not like you're going to force them into it. So, no, that's awesome. Um, moving on. This is going to be a hard question for you to uh, answer and I'm, I've always thought about asking this question if I ever met you uh, and here's my opportunity. Uh, do you have, there's two two questions here. Do you have a favourite, I know you do so many styles of fishing, but do you have a favourite fish to target? Well, you've probably already answered that with the brown trout um, and why. But then do you have a, a favourite style of fishing, whether it's for trout or something else? So your favourite fish to target and then your favourite style of fishing, the, the method of how you actually go about catching a fish
1: Mate, it's a good question As one look if it's if it's all fishing there's no question kingfish the tailed kingfish off the rocks is to me the pinnacle of our sport that that's my personal view is that one you're not only uh challenging yourself against the hardest fighting fish in the ocean but you're in an environment where they all the odds are stacked with the fish and yep. you 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 know you, it sounds like you're a bit of a uh, Saddest or something, but everything's stacked against the fish, and you lose way more than you catch. But when you catch a big king off the rocks, it's uh, yeah, something special. But look, from a you know that 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 would be my favourite ultimate, but but certainly from a freshwater perspective, look, it's so hard. To, it's it's a really hard question to answer. But I suppose if the big boy upstairs said to me, right, well, Andy, you've only got um, you got six months to live. You can only do one style of fishing. I'd probably say. Um, chasing brown trout on soft plastics, spinning—that yep. that would be nice. to be my be my ultimate. If I only had a short period of time or one style of fishing, I could go back to that. It'd be it, but mate, yep. it's it's pretty hard to not. It is.
0: Say it's odd. hard. <laughs> it's hard. One day answer. <laughs> yeah,
1: love to chase. I love chasing cod in the river. I like chasing goldens off the bank with suspending minnows. You know, you, the list goes on. I'm sure everyone yep. you've spoken to and all the other podcasts have had the same
0: challenges answering that yeah it's a good question Uh, mate yeah i know i just wanted to ask because there's so many different like varieties of styles of fishing like you exactly what you explained is so specific about the browns on plastics you know and then you've got that many varieties of ways of chasing cod in different seasons and it's like totally different styles of fishing and i know it's really hard to put a finger on one but there's always one you'd lean to over the other um, at some stages so yeah i just wanted to see what your answer was to that and i've never. Yeah, and it's funny that you you would have done a whole range of different styles as well, I'd imagine. Like, uh, the variety you've done, you've probably experienced very close to as much as someone else, any, like someone else out there in terms of a variety of styles with your salt and your fresh, whereas a lot of people aren't lucky enough to experience that much. So that's another reason why I wanted to, to ask you that. So we talked a little bit about what draws you to fishing from the bank, and that, and that was a really good answer. So you actually own a boat. So for people listening to this, it's not because you can't afford a boat. It's because you actually prefer to pick fishing from the bank, overfishing from the boat in certain situations. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. people who don't have a boat, it's not like, well, I'm just forget fishing because there's so many opportunities.
1: Oh, that's, that's so true. And if, you, from a, if you're thinking about it from a trout fishing perspective, if you look at somewhere like, say, Lake Eukenboon, where we are so lucky in Australia, we've got you know, Australia's biggest um, mainland lake and we have access all across that lake. There's very little yep. areas of Lake Eucanbe and Lake Ginderwine where you can't you can't access and you can't fish. And you don't need a boat. If you just use a little bit of nous and look at the weather, you can pick an area of those lakes a day or two before and say, okay, I don't want to be fishing on a really windy bank or I want a windy bank. You can pick somewhere to go to and you don't actually need a boat to get to it if you've got a boat certainly as i said at the very start of the podcast you know it opens up a lot of other options so that if one particular area is not fishing well i'll go you can move quickly jump in the boat within 20 minutes you're at another location um however you know in the early days and i had a boat we would often drive up to the mountains and um you know not even take a boat yeah um, we'd leave the boat at home so and look i've had other trips where i've you know Many many trips where the wind has been so dangerous, up there, as you would know from fishing the mountains yourself. Mm. That wind comes up places like um, Tawbingo and uh, even blaring. and um, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 horrendous. It's scary, and it's way scarier than when it's when the weather turns to to stink out in the ocean because in the fresh water you can't ride the waves the waves are so close together as you know mate you ride over two and the third one's in your boat and you've got half, yeah. you know, half a meter of water so you can we've been up there where we've just left the boat on the trailer and we've still had a really good weekend away you know we've caught some fish it's been pretty miserable weather-wise but we've got the fish you know got to recharge the batteries and come back to you know, come back home and uh, face what the world's got to show us because we've at least got our fishing fix in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, back on that about the, the wind, would you say you've had the worst wind conditions on, because Eucanbean's bad, like bean for those who've never fished it, it's <laughs> a massive basin, massive lake, and the wind can get horrible there, but now you said it, I, I tell it to something about Talbingo, it is just a scary place to be when it's windy. Yeah, Like, they're both very bad
1: Yeah, and it's a really good point, mate They're vastly different if you look at the topology around the the foreshores of both lakes As you said, Yukon Boone's a wide open expanse You know, 226 kilometres of shoreline when it's 100% I don't think it's like six or seven times the size of Sydney Harbour It's a big chunk of water Whereas Taubingo is that very narrow um, Yeah you know, quite high mountains on either side, and that, that wind funnels down towards the dam wall, and it's a frightening place to be. You can be, in, I've been there often when the wind will come up, and you can sort of wait it out or ride it out. Tell bingo if the weather's bad, you get off the water, you get your boat yeah. off the water. It's just not, it's a scary place up there.
0: Yeah, isn't it? and they're both they're both very, very different. Um, so, let's, as you mentioned, you started talking about you can Bean. Let, This That's exactly what I want to touch on now is snowy mountains trout. So, for people who love the snowies, they're chasing trout. But I want to particularly talk about um, some bank walking tips, techniques, things you can share with people for being on foot in somewhere like can Bean or, or What? First of all, my first question is when you're on the lake, so you've picked your spot, Um, you're on the lake do you look at covering heaps of ground or are you really keyed into an area and breaking it right down so does that does that make sense
1: yeah absolutely i'll probably i'm probably fortunate to have the you know 35 odd years experience fishing up there so the first thing i do before i go is i normally have a game plan i'll have a and, and maybe this is because I'm a little bit anal, but I like having a bit of a plan So I'll have somewhere between five and ten areas, banks, that I want to fish. Um, yep. A few, obviously, reliable ones. And, and they will change from season to season. So if I'm fishing autumn, um, there'll be certain banks I'll look at. If I'm fishing winter, there'll be certain banks. And if I'm fishing spring or early summer, there'll be certain, certain areas of the lake I'll fish. And that all comes down to the prevailing weather. Um, you know, if the fish have been about to go up the river, come back from the river, if they're around the edges, like those, all sort of those variables come into it. So I do have a bit of a game plan, but in answer to your question, once I get to a bank, I'll normally give it, you know, somewhere between an hour and two hours in a in a specific location before I sort of think about jumping back in the boat and moving. And I think the other thing about the banks that I select, it's not. Just one feature, so it might not be, you know, weed beds. You know, if the fish aren't on the weed beds, right? Let's go and look for some muddy banks because they might be on the on the yabby beds. Okay, they're not on the yabby beds. Let's go and move to another area where it might be a mix of, of features, or it might just be one of those what we refer to as the trout highways, where it's a completely featureless um, shoreline to the human, to the to a fisherman. Like you look at it, and you go, there's just nothing here. There's nothing to excite I me. Mean, there's nothing for me to cast at. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle in impoundment fishing for trout, in particular off the bank, is that humans are so fixated on a rock or a tree or something to cast at to give them a visual cue, yep. whereas mm-hmm. some of the, the, the quite, like I said, trout highways, they're very mm-hmm. nondescript, they're just a mud bank that just runs, they're a shallow gradient, so there's not deep drop-offs, there's not troughs. There's not weed beds, there's nothing there, but often trout have to move around the lake, and those trout highways, it's almost like a bit, you've got to be there at the right time. But if you work that area, and we've got quite a few of those trout highways we're fishing, you can be an you know one, even up the top of Tentangra as well, where at particular times of the year, the fish will, will travel through there, and brownies in particular quite opportunist feeders. So if you lob a plastic or a small metal in front of them, they might not be feeding, but if it's in front of them, they'll nail it on, on one of those like, particular areas.
0: So, And the reason they're there is just because they're traveling is, is what you're saying. They're just like cruising through an area to get to another area. That's exactly um, – yeah. yeah, yeah 100%. They're not in there feeding as per se. They're not chasing food or doing anything particular there. They're not holding in that area. That's, they're moving.
1: That's exactly right. And in those areas, what we do is we specifically – pro, your prospect blind casting almost. So you're working those areas quite quickly. You know the, yep. the couple of the American bass guys. I think they call it power. I think um, they call it like power fishing. So you sort of, you know, you're making three casts. You know, you walk five metres, make three casts. And again, with your casts, always you're on the on the shores. Always cast in front of you. Don't cast directly out because the, you may actually spook a fish. So if you get a cast in front of you before you walk there, then there's every chance that you've, you you'll pick up a feeding fish. But you're working those areas quite quickly because, as you said, like they're moving through that to find other areas. If you're fishing a particular area that's got weed beds or rocks or, or mud banks with, you know, the gabby beds and clusters of broken and shingle and that sort of thing where they could be feeding, it's a different yeah. strategy altogether. So you want to work that area pretty thoroughly because you just don't know where the fish will be. And even if the fish are there, have they been, have they faced your lure, have they seen your lure? And that's where... Mm. It's a $64 question isn't it mate, and that's where a bit of experience comes into it. You sort of think, well, pretty confident there's fish in this area, and I'm pretty confident they're feeding. Have they seen my lure, and if they have, then maybe I haven't got the right lure on, I might need to make a change. Or look, the fish are here, but they're just not feeding, so I'll move to another area and come back to that location later in the day. With different sunlight yeah. on it, might they might actually, might, you know, sort of turn them on.
0: Now, I just want to take a quick break from this incredible episode with Andrew to talk to you guys about the SF maps. Now, if you haven't heard about them yet, or if you haven't listened to any of the other podcasts, the social fishing maps is something we developed over the past couple of years. Now, what it is, is it gives you guys a plan, a map, and a guide to go visit certain lakes. So we had heaps of questions from you guys, from followers about what's biting where, where do I go, where can I put a boat in, and where are some good spots and tips for a waterway. So we thought with so many of you guys wanting information, and I too was the same when I was younger, we thought we'll put in some effort and put together the SF maps. Now they're incredibly unique. It's not just a print map that you look at like like you've always done. It's a digital interactive map on the social fishing membership. It comes with a whole heap of other content. And what they are? They maps on all the boat ramps. What percentage you can get a boat in? Where you can camp on a where at that specific spot, all the access points, the good bank fishing spots and tips for fishing from the bank. Then there's also key boat fishing areas. So we explain at what end of the dam there's golden perch, at what end of the dam there's trout, where they feed the best, where the best structures are. And we've gone around and taken photos throughout the entire lake. So you can pull it up and go, yeah, that's not the kind of structure I like to fish. Uh, And then you check another spot and you go, that's what I like to fish. That's where I'm going to go fish. And it'll tell you between what height. It'll say it fishes well from 100 to 40% so you know if it's 30 percent, it's not worth fishing so we've gone around while all the lakes are low and put this content together now the maps that are currently available at the time of this podcast is blaring eildon Negambi, Mawala, and Burrenjuk. And we aren't far away from adding Wyangler Dam and Windermere. And then obviously, them will be another one coming soon. But we are continually going to expand them. All the members inside the SF membership have let us know what lakes they want. And they've requested lakes, and we're going to put them together. But then we're going to move on to river systems as well. So if you're wondering where do you access reserves on the Murrumbidgee, the Murray, the Goulburn River, up north on the Gwida and things like that, or the Lachlan River, we're going to put that together. So, if your support inside this membership, we're going to create as much content as we can to help you guys get out there and catch more fish. Now, that is just one small part of the Social Fishing membership and you can learn more about it on socialfishing.com.au. So, visit the site. Go check it out. Inside the membership, there's a community forum. You can ask us any questions if you want. If you're heading to Blaring and you need help planning a trip, message me and I'll help you out. I'll point you in the right direction. Same goes for... All these lakes, we have in-depth reports written by anglers at these waterways. So at Lake Eildon, Nagambi, Moela, Buranjak, we have locals writing monthly reports, up-to-date monthly reports, not written in advance like the ones that are printed in magazines. They're not written one and a half months in advance. They're written now. So if it's not fishing well, you'll know it's not fishing well. And they'll also put updates throughout the month in the group to tell you if it's fishing well or if it's changed. And you can even message them. So, not only do you get a report from these anglers, you can also send them a message and say, hey, mate, I'm looking at fishing there. Is it worth it? Where should I be going? It's something that's never been seen before and it's going to be the biggest platform for freshwater fishing in our country and we're going to grow up big for you guys. So, jump on, check it out. That is the Social Fishing membership, the Social Fishing maps, the reports is all inside that and you can learn more at socialfishing.com.au. Now, let's jump back into the episode with Andy. There's so much that goes into the this like catching a fish, isn't there? Like the, it can sometimes be super easy but listening to you now, I've got like 600 questions based on what you've said but I know that you'll never get the answer that you... So pretend I've never fished before and I just really want to know th- there's never a direct answer of this will work. It all depends on the day. You know, there's so much that goes into it. Like my question was how do you... And, this would be, and I know you can't answer this, but how do you know that the fish are there? You just, in yourself, you get that feeling, don't you, out there that you're like, right, it's got all the key things, the the, the wind's been blowing the right direction, that they should be here. And then you've got that pretty good guesstimate that there's fish in the area. That's how it works, doesn't it? It's like, it's so hard to give people, like... Uh, here's a key, go open the door and you'll be able to go through it, which is yeah, you know, fish, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's a great
1: analogy, mate, I might actually use that in the future, here's a key, go and catch some fish, this is the key to your success. Imagine if you could sell that at some of the tackle shops, you'd be, uh, yeah. Not, yeah, we wouldn't be doing podcasts, mate, we'd be out fishing all the time.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: But, you, look, you're 100% right, Royce, it's, it's, uh, the, thing, the thing I think I like about the bank fishing, and this is where I certainly tip my hats to those guys who go out and, you know, I listen to Jack o. Davis, and he's just, I've, you know, anyone who hasn't listened to that podcast that he did with you, I've, you know, get on, download it and listen to it, but also get on and have a look at some of his YouTube clips because he, to me, he's the a, a sort of angler who, he, he's done the groundwork, but his talking about the, the technology and the sounders was so interesting and intriguing to me. 'Cause there's two really two schools of thoughts out there where these days if you want to be I know we're sort of digressing a bit, but bear with me a minute, mate, and I'll get back yeah, no, to I'll get back it. to nah. my I'll get back to my point. That's good. But you've got and, and I know you do a lot of this, but there's a lot of guys out there who are, you know, Terry Blundell out at um yes, he's another one who they, these guys just go out and they just use their sounders to find fish and they'll chase the fish around and so that so they've, you've taken that variable that that knowing is there fish here has been taken away because you know one hundred percent looking at your whatever sort of sounder you've got there is a fish there there is a big Murray mm-hmm. cod so all, that variable has been taken out of it for you so if you think about all the other variables like fishing tackle rods reels lures your line quality knots weather cond weather water condition you know temperature turbidity um, turbidity sorry oxygen levels, pollution, is the water stable, receding, rising, barometer, time of the day, season, time of the year. All those other variables, you've got them covered and all of a sudden the big one around location is now been answered for you as an angler because you you know you're in the right location because you can see a Murray cod there or you can see a school Mm -hmm. of golden perch. So the reason I like, and this is a... I've sort of digressed a bit, but getting back to it, the reason I like the bank fishing and the scenario we just walked through, I'm still not 100% sure that there's a trout there, that there's trout in that area, but there's, I've, I've noticed there's a bit of bait moving around, there's a bit of weed. Um, you know, It's in an area where I know the temperature's going to be right because it's had a bit of sun on it. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: they, all those variables have, have been answered, but the big one, is there fish there? And then the other one, are they eating can I convince yes. them to eat? So to me, that's the challenge of fishing is... And it, look, and, and I'm not... It, it's just the two different mindsets, you know, like it's two different, you know, to get those big cod, you, I, I think the way of the future is no doubt you're going to have to have sounders because an interesting one that I did here is guys saying now on a weekend, instead of making a 1,000 or 1,500 casts, they're only making 30 or 40 casts because they're not, they're waiting until they see a fish on the sounder before they cast. They're not just yeah. blind, blind casting away. So, um, and it's, it's a different type of, it's not fishing ability, it's fishing mouse. It's, um, the, the, the variables I mentioned is that you now need to have the skills to read a sounder and, and potentially character traits, character traits such as, patience and persistence and that determination just to keep as everyone that's the old trendy you know like get into the grind just keep cast and keep pulling your lures past fish and eventually you'll get one of those that cod. A lot of those have replaced uh, some of the ability to read the water without the assistance of electronics read the topology of the bank around the edge to say okay here's a creek running in with a few trees this time of year, probably a good chance could be some cod or a school with goldens or even some reddies or something sitting off this bank because you've got your sensor yep. to tell you that. So you've you've taken that variable out of the equation. So I think it's a it's an it's an interesting shift that we've seen in in the fishing um, fraternity of, around uh, around the country. It, it definitely has changed.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. I could talk about it for ages, and I I know what you're getting at, and it's. And I feel like you need to have experience without the technology first. Um, this is just my opinion. I feel like you need that experience to understand the waterway, uh, understand how the fish and why the fish and why they're there. And, and see, I, I don't have live scope and I don't really use my sound a whole heap. I just use it to find bait in an yeah. area yeah. because usually in a boat – and, and it, this is probably why you fish from the bank. But if I'm fishing blaring in the boat and people go, oh, there's a big cot on the sounder, I'll cast to it. I'm like, yeah, don't even bother. Like, he knows we're here because he's like three meters to the left. He's heard us or something. Yeah. And 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 I feel like I use it just to know, just to make sure I'm in a general area where there's bait. And then I'm fishing in front, still hoping that there's bait over there, still hoping that there's fish over there, still hoping that the bank is the same depth as what it's showing me out here. The main thing I use my sounder for is depth and uh, depth as well as to try and find bait at particular times of the year. So And there's different levels of how tuned into your technology you can basically be. And like you said, being on the bank, the hard part is is knowing are ah, the fish here but that's where it comes from experience but also putting time in like you have to go right i'm 90 percent sure there's fish here. let's fish it for an hour like you said you fish yeah. it for an yeah. hour or two hours if you get your fish bang i was right and then that's a little bit of knowledge that goes into the back of your head and once you do that you know 50 times you can be fairly confident that the fish are there based on prior like previous experience um and then that's how you sort of come to the fact of, you know, that there's fishy. And like you said, you give it one to two hours. So getting back to more fishing, you can be in what we're talking about. You, you, you give it one to two hours in an area. So what size is an area? If you've pulled up in the car or you've pulled up in a boat, for someone who's going to give this a crack, is your area like a 100-meter length of bank? And then like a really good area, 100-meter length of bank, which are all those key features you said before you move to the next spot?
1: Oh, it's probably a bit bigger than that, mate, and it's, again, it's a, it's a thing you can't really put a defined yeah distance on. It just, I think it depends on a, a number of things. You know, if I'm, a lot of the time I'll pull up just inside a bay and I'll work a rocky point, and you know, no matter how many times you do this and how many years or decades you've been fishing, you walk around a corner and you go, oh, that looks a little bit, that looks really good over there. I might just keep walking, and then you get to that next point or that next... You know, trout highway or bank, and you go, oh, I might just keep going because this has looked really good. Or I've, you know, I've yep. had, a, had a couple of bumps and I saw a couple of rises and picked up a fish here, and and was it. And so it it really depends, mate. It's it's what, it, it, and this is where I don't think there's any wrong or right answers. It's so. yeah it's such a grey area and it's even like we're talking about all those different styles of fishing the beauty of it is is there's no wrong or right answer you can do as long as you're doing the basics right you should be catching you should catch fish and this way you just got to persist with it so you know you might have like i go back to like i was saying to you you can i'll have a game plan of five or six different areas and i'll go to one area and i know that some of the areas fish better of an afternoon through winter than they do in the morning because they get no sunlight, so the water stays quite cold, which is what trout need. But I know that that one or two degree increase once they get a little bit of afternoon sun and only get sun for sort of from about two to four o'clock before all of a sudden the. You know, the starting to go down behind, the, the sun's starting to go down behind the mountains. So there'll be some areas that'll be really, a really concentrated specific area of probably 50 metres or less, you know, like a, a real yep. defined rocky point that I know fish will bypass because there's a bit of a creek bed nearby and there's another runoff over my left shoulder that's coming in. So it's just sort of bit of a trout junction that you're a good chance of picking up some fish whereas the next area I'll go to will be a, a, a quite a wide, shallow bay that's got a weed bed in it that I know there could be fish anywhere. So you, you sort of might be a five or 600-metre walk right around there. So just to do one, you know... You know, one lap of that bay is going to probably yep. take an hour, and then you, when you walk back, you know, it's another forty minutes or so. So, like yes. the other thing, or, or it's worth mentioning in in regards to that, and I, I got this tip off Bushy when Bushy was, um, still working at Cooma at Alpine Angler. There, we used to drop in and see him, and a lot of anglers know Bushy from um, his squidgy. You know, his the invention of squidgies was Starlow, but. Mm-hmm. Bushy is such an accomplished freshwater angler, and mate, he used to give us some tips that would just just blow my mind. Now this was back in the '90s, and quite often, you know, we'd be going up to Euclimoon or Gindervine and we'd drop into Alpine Angler on the other side of Cooma. And Bushy go, "Where are you going, boys?" And it sort of we'd say, "Where we're going? I'll oh, go to Midling Bank. No, no, go and have a look at Braemar Bay. There's might be a few more fish there." And so we'd change our plans based on what Bushy told us, and. Mate, sure enough, we'd go there and we'd just smash them. So, yeah. but, but one of the things Bushy did tell us is that when... And he, he was talking specifically about pole rodding with the fly rod. But the same method can be applied to, to lure fishing. He's, he said, if you ever walk a bank and you don't see any fish, don't be too perplexed because you'll turn around and walk that same bank on the way back and you'll see six or eight fish. Because they were sitting yep. on a particular way facing a particular, which is hard to understand, hard to comprehend or work out why, because it's a lake, so there's really not a lot of water flow. If it's a river, sure, they're going to sit in a similar direction, but quite often the fish will or they'll all be cruising one way. If you're walking along the edge, you'll see all the fish will come left to right or right to left, but it'll be the same yes. way. You won't get them crisscrossing. Stick, yep. That's a little a tip that Bushy gave me, mate, 30 years ago and I've never ever got it and it's I, countless times I've been up walking the banks, casting softies or in the early days casting tassie devils or even going way back to Baltic minnows. You won't see a fish and then you walk back the other way and bingo, there they are. They, whether they were there all the time and we've missed them or whether they've just moved in since we walked... Again, that's the unknown question, but yeah, so it's a really good thing to remember. Just because you walk the bank one way, don't think there's no fish there.
0: Yes, yeah, I totally agree. We see it in the rivers uh, when the rivers get high, chasing trout, like in tail races we do in the Tumut. They've got flow, but they do the same thing. They come into a shallow bit and they swim all the way along the bank and then they swim out. And yeah, then they go into yeah. the deep water and they come back in the deep water so you don't see them and then they go the same way. So sometimes you've walked and you're walking ahead of them and they come from behind you because you're walking slower than their move and they overtake you. So they just they just pop up out of nowhere. That's so cool, isn't Yeah,
1: that's awesome. That's
0: such a cool tip. Um, so if so, if someone who's going to chase these fish, right, you, you're in the boat and you go find a bank and... Before your trip, you know, how you said you plan where you're going to go. I know every season's different, but say winter time, what are you looking for? Are you, were you saying before? I know you said something about that temperature. Are you looking for banks that have more shade because the trout prefer it cooler, or are you looking for the warmer banks in the winter uh, for for food activity? Or, or what's what's the go in the winter time um, in terms of finding the fish? And then also, that's about temperature. When it comes to wind. Are you looking for windblown banks or the opposite?
1: So I think, well, your first question about temperature is a really good one, mate, because one thing about trout is they have a particular temperature range where they can digest food, and often that is is different to what the water temperature around the edges will be. So often they'll come in, feed in a very short window, and then they'll move out into deeper water where the temperature Mm -hmm. may be a little bit cooler or a little bit warmer, but to allow that, and then they'll lie as you see them, and the, you know, the word is they're lying doggo. They're lying there because they're do, either they're they're finished feeding and they're letting their food digest, or they're just basically resting up. They don't feed as much as we like to think it. Think about it: fish don't feed twenty-four-seven. They have periods no. where they will feed. I'll go nuts, and then they'll go and rest up. And it's the same with our native fish, you know, goldens and and are exactly the same. So trout will often and. and there's a few things that have happened over um, over the years that we noticed, and, and, and it's, not, it's not always a saying a particular temperature. It's, it can be just a variance. So I remember one trip uh, about three or four years ago, we were fishing Newcombine, and we actually used... Look, mate, I use my sound a little bit like yours. Uh, I don't often have it on, but I do have it on, one, to just look at water depth, but also to look at temperature. We were fishing at Eukenboon and we'd been to about six or seven banks and they all were sitting at around 10 degrees. Then we came to a bank that was actually 8 degrees and the fish just went nuts. We hadn't caught a fish at the other previous banks where it was all 10 degrees. Dropped to 8 degrees and all of a sudden, I think we, we got four fish really quickly and then over the next period of an hour, we picked up another three or four fish. So we ended up with a nice bag of about eight fish. Um, where we'd got nothing in it and and the only variable that we could pick it up to because all the other spots had some nice you know looked like they had a bit of food there um of oxygen in the water like nice and clear um Mm -hmm. bit of structure but this one area that we went to had a couple degree difference but mate the reverse of that is we've had the same situation at you can sorry at Jindabyne um right up near the um township where we've Fished the lake and I think it was like very between sort of seven and eight degrees everywhere. Then we found a bank one up in the afternoon, we've had a quiet day, a couple of fish here and there, but then we've, in the afternoon we've come up to a bank that again the temperature had actually gone up. It was actually 11 degrees because it had, it had been, uh, had, it, was a, it was a very calm day, uh, sun round about this time of year, it was about uh, early June. And yep. it was 11 degrees, so obviously just that surface water, and this is, again, where I think the bank fishing can be advantageous, it was probably only that, you know, three metres or four metres from the bank had warmed up, because I'm sure once you went down below about a metre deep, it would be pretty cold. But this water yep. had warmed up to about 11 degrees, and, mate, there was fish everywhere there, and they were on the job, like it was a clear day, and it was like polaroid in heaven, because it was just no, no yeah. wind and... Um, my mate who was with me. is a keen fly fisherman, so we, we always have a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, he loves the fly, and I love the lure, so it was always we always yeah. used to have a little bit of banter around who would catch more fish. But um, you know, on that particular day, there was just fish everywhere. We were sort of it was that many fish. We were sort of saying, "Oh, you take this one. I oh, no, that one's a bit smaller. We'll leave that," which you don't often do when you're trout fishing. So, no. and it was again, it was that that temperature difference was the key. Mate, the other the other part to your question about the wind is that. In, in trout fishing terms, and you can say this as many times as you want and people don't don't like it, but the more uncomfortable you are as an angler, the, yep. more, the better the fishing will be. Now, yep. I don't know if that's because you're paying your dues to um, to that unknown, unknown fishing god somewhere around that you're actually yes. you're uncomfortable, you're cold, you got wind in your face, your lips are getting wind burnt, um, yeah, you can, can't see your sunnies because of the sleep or whatever, but... Wind is a great... It's a couple of things. It puts oxygen in the water, so it's turning that water over. It also will move any of the critters or creatures on the bottom, whether they're yabbies or bugs or insects or whatever they are, will be getting turned over, so that mud will be turned over, so it makes stunt half the job for the fish, so they can actually get in there and start feeding. And this applies to golden perch as well, um, as just not trout. And and then the other... um, factor is is they've got the cover of that wind so that ripple or the waves on the surface means that they, that they can't be easily seen from above and they can't easily see you so yep. you've got three factors there that mate and you but i'm sure you're going through it Bruce. i know a lot of other guys mm. have you're uncomfortable but you've got to keep telling yourself you know what the fish are going to be here because of all those reasons i just mentioned so let's just tough, yes. tough it out you know what, and as soon as you knock over a nice five pound brownie, you go, you know what, this has been worth it, and you forget about being cold and you forget about being uncomfortable. So the answer to your question, mate, the windier it is, the better the fishing will be. <laughs> and then you're
0: yeah. picking banks that the wind is blowing along or into or away from.
1: Uh, probably the first two. More, more the banks that are, the, the banks that are blowing into makes it very hard to cast lures. If you're fishing really light soft plastics with a jig head of only a gram and a half or two grams, you know you're punching a cast into a, a twenty knot sailorista, mate. You're gonna be you're gonna be struggling to get much more than about an yep. eight eight to a fifteen meter cast will be good. But that's okay because that's where the fish are. So you have still got your lure mm-hmm. in the zone. And to me, that's a that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. When the wind's blowing along the bank, it's it's probably not as there's probably not as big a concentration of fish. Um, and yep. and you definitely, I definitely don't like it. I don't. I'm not a big fan of when the wind's blowing over your, over your back. So coming, you know, from behind you and across that over that bank, it's not really turning that water over at all. So. To me, you want it blowing in the bank or blowing on an angle along it, as you mentioned. They're the, they're, the, yep. they're the two sort of scenarios.
0: Yeah, cool. And then back to your thing about the temperature, which you talked about before, which was really, really interesting. There's no set temperature. And obviously, when someone's planning a trip, they can't be like, oh, it's 11 degrees because you've got no idea because every spot's different. Yeah. Um, and every day is different. But there's when it comes to trout, there's no... Every year changes, every season changes, every month changes in terms of if they're going to want a little bit warmer, a little bit colder. Obviously, in summer it's different because you've, that's too hot for them, so they want cooler water. But in that winter time, you couldn't say you want to look for warmer water or you want to look for cooler water, can you? It's, it, it changes from lake to lake to month to year to season.
1: That's Yeah, that's exactly right, mate. And that's the difference, I think, between twin trout fishing and, say, chasing goldens. You know, everyone knows if you can find when well, you're golden perch fishing, You find that bank that's a couple of degrees warmer in spring and bingo there's going to be you know it'll be golden city along those those edges those banks whereas with trout it's the what i've found is generally the the difference if there's a if if the the lake is generally all 10 degrees you can find water that's either say eight or nine degrees or 11 or 13 degrees somewhere else then that variance that's the bank on fishing that's the bank. Right, that's okay. the bank that is different. So, but in a, a general rule of thumb is for for when you when you trout fishing is anywhere between eight and eleven degrees is is the fish will be near the edge and you'll catch them. They'll be they should be right. feeding. That's that's the key. Now, look, just backtracking a bit. People are probably thinking, well, you know, what if I don't have a bait my at to tell temperature? Back in the in the early days, again, like I said, I was I, was, I was sort of had a good game plan I was a little bit anal about my fishing and always looking part of being writing and being a bit of a you know a bit of a journal, it always helps you you're always thinking outside the box or how can I improve my fishing that I can then put into an article to actually enhance the fishing of people who are going to read that article and what I used to do in the old days which was so crude and I laugh about it but it worked is that we actually bought an old thermometer hung it off the end of a our tack, the, uh, basically the cord that we had for our tackle back would drop it down in the water, leave it in there for about two minutes at the back of the boat, pull it up and take a temperature reading because sounders didn't have temperature back then. Yeah. And we used that. And mate, we even did the same thing and we went through a few of those glass thermometers until we found a plastic one, but we used to just throw it out from the bank
0: we yes. just leave
1: it in the water about three metres and have a bit of a fish around, pour ourselves a cup or come back and take a temperature reading. So just because you haven't got a boat or if you have got a boat but don't have a sounder, don't think that you can't. Temperature's still not... But, mate, a lot of people couldn't be bothered. A lot of people don't want to go to that effort. They just want to go and start fishing. So,
0: yeah.
1: and, and generally that's that 90-10 rule, mate, where you've got you know, 90% of the anglers don't catch too much. It's 10% that catch most of the fish.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And and I imagine if you guys are listening to this podcast, you are wanting to be in that ten percent, or you already are. So so I, I I feel that the things we talk about, you'll take on board. And if you are super keen, you want to learn more, you want to catch more. They're the things you got to do. If you're happy catching what you're catching or doing what you're doing and just fishing here and there, then you just keep doing it. If that's what you're happy with. But if your goal is to get more fish out in the water, then they're the tiny little things you got to do, it's, don't they?
1: It's a great point, mate. Very good point. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and I've, I had a massive plan for this episode, but I think if I continue on the path I was going, we'll be here for about five and a half hours. But <laughs> it's been better than I expect. It's been better because we've just gone into so much detail and things that I, I didn't think possible. And Some of the stuff you've talked about is just incredible, stuff that I never knew. Well, back to the boat versus bank, you fish from the bank you have the boat do you fish from the bank because that's how you grew up with your old man and you enjoy it or do you fish from the bank because you catch more fish when you're in the right spot <laughs>
1: well, that's again another great question mate i think that this is just my view i think because i i started doing a lot of bank fishing one because that's what i did with my old man and then when the kids you know, kids were really small that's what i did and i think because i then had to changed my strategy a bit because i didn't want to just keep jumping in the boat moving around i concentrated my efforts a bit more and i think because of that i started catching fish and yep. i think it's just m- sort of morphed into that that's just how i fish now because i don't actually enjoy being in the boat for hours and hours and hours um I, you know look and it's the same when i go flathead fishing i um i actually prefer to get out and wade the sand flats for flatties and brim mm-hmm. Rather than sitting in the boat and covering heaps of water, and I just it's just a personal preference, mate. I don't think it. It's look as I said, it's the thing. The beauty of fishing. There's no wrong or right answers, or it's no. It's not. It's not a bad thing to say this is how I fish and I enjoy it. It's it's like what I was saying to you about the you know the the night time the night kings who chase the cod compared to someone who's potentially walks the river, chasing cod and might only fish you know a couple of hours either side of doing on yep. your desk. it's it's not wrong or right it's what it's what you've got available to you and what you enjoy yep. you know if that's what you enjoy then do it don't don't be don't be dictated by what the guys in the tackle shops tell you or what you read in magazines it's what you want to get out of the sport to, to you know and that's why that's why i never bag anyone who wants to troll i never bag anyone who wants to bait fish because that's they might be happy doing that. You know, that's that's yeah. what they want to do. And it's, providing you're looking after the environment and looking after the fish, you're not killing fish unnecessarily. If you're going to catch them loose, you're practicing the right methods. You're keeping them wet, using circle hooks if you're bait fishing, so you're you're not you know, living yeah. big chunks of metal in their in their mouth. So you know, to me, this is what this is the this is where fishing will be able to get as a as a community, will get more and more power with as well certainly for people like yourself who can take these things forward in decades with government so that we keep getting stockings because we've got so much power as a community and we can see that now with COVID happening how so many communities are suffering because we can't cross borders to fish or we couldn't Mm -hmm. travel to fish so I know I'm getting off the track a bit and I'm getting on my soapbox but I think as a community this is where it's important that don't bag people just because they troll or they bait fish because they're going to be important people who they're taxpayers and they vote and they're the ones we're going to need to once we get together more and more as as the americans have done you know like their fishing is so well protected now probably over protected in some areas but you know where we can we can have murray cod as a sustainable fish you know and stop the things like the black water and the pollution coming down the rivers and so, you know, mm. for the future, that's where we want to be. And that's why I, I think it's important. We're all fishermen. Um, whether we want to drown a worm or whether we want to cast $100 swim baits, it's, um, you know, it, we're all part of the same community.
0: Nailed it, mate. One of the best things have been said on the podcast, I reckon. That's That was perfect. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And back to the whole fishing for trout, the answer is, you do it because you enjoy it and you wouldn't say that if someone preferred to fish from a boat that they would catch less. You don't do it specifically because it catches; it's going to catch you more fish. So, if someone wants to fish from the boat, it might fish better than from the bank sometimes but then the bank might fish better other times and I yeah, imagine yeah. fishing from the bank would work really well when you do have that water turning over a lot of wind, a bit of wind, like a wind in against the bank, but then also when that temperature's right and the fish are really close to the edge, do you find you get a lot of fish within that two to three metres of the edge?
1: Absolutely, mate. You've nailed it. That's exactly right. The the fish, particularly, and I think this is where the boat fishing, the the bank fishing becomes an advantage where you've got a stable or rising um, water. Is that the fish will be around the edge when the water's receding? Where you have got a lake that's dropping? I think that's when your bank fishing can be a little bit better because one, it's it's difficult to move around the lake because it's it's sloppy and it's muddy and uncomfortable walking around the edge when you're fishing the bank. So sometimes the, the boat fishing, you know, casting lures and the key with the boat fishing, if you are going to fish from the boat and cast lures towards the edge, you've got to get them right in the edge. That that yep. you know. Um, having them land three metres from the edge is not close enough. You've got to be, sometimes, you know, we're we're even casting our lures. When we do fish, I don't solely fish from the bank I do do a bit from the boat. When I fish from the boat, often I'll be throwing my lures actually onto the mud or actually onto the grass and then dragging them out. Because if you think about it, that's mimicking, you know, like a, a yabby, particularly, as I said, in receding, waters receding, yeah, you know are coming out of their holes and they're smart enough to know well i've got to get back into the water because i've lost you know the water's receding so they're actually yep. moving back into the water often they will do that at night and that's where some of the best trout fishing you can have is is from a boat on a receding the lake's receding or it's dropping slowly which is often sort of this time of year through winter so they they, yep. they draw down on the lake so that they can allow enough for the snow melt and the the rise in spring so if you're fishing at night, your, your yabbies are often moving then under the cover of darkness, and that's when the big brownies are out searching and, you know, being an opportunist feeder looking for some eat. So in answer to your question, I know another long, long-winded answer from McGovern, sorry about that, mate. No, um,
0: it's perfect.
1: But, but the, the thing is, you, you boat and bank is just whatever tickles your fancy, but both have their times where you will get more yep. fish from both, and both have advantages and disadvantages.
0: Yep. No, I agree. A question you just, I just thought about, when you're fishing in the dark, in that situation you just said, what's your go-to lure? Do you have a lure that works best under darkness for trout or they'll still find a soft plastic?
1: Well, they'll still find a soft plastic, no doubt about it. And again, I think that's that getting, that, uh, getting out of that mentality of um, you know, thinking like a, a human, not like a fish um yeah the, uh, look it was I, was I can't even remember when it was mate it was so long ago i probably had too many concussions in my years playing footy because things start to fade but i think you know it was around about the late 80s early 90s where we turned up we're doing our standard you know like this is well before soft plastics we're doing our you know trolley our tassie devils was the way we used to fish and then we'd pull up in a bank and do you know cast tassies from the bank but i remember pulling we got up there and we we left early for whatever reason Got on the water, and it was pitch black, and we said, Oh, let's just start trolling. So, we put the lures out, mate. We we're catching fish in pitch black, and we we're trolling pink Tassies, you know, the stop or the traffic light Tassie, and I think we had the mm-hmm. red nose brown bomber. So, we had three completely different coloured Tassie devils, but we we're still catching fish. Which one goes to show the fish were just picking up on the action of the lure, it had nothing to do with the colour. Yep. But, but the other thing, it it, it it sort of was like one of those light bulb moments. We're going, Holy holy heck, we've been wasting all this time. You know, we used to sit, sometimes we'd sit in the car or we'd spin off the bank before we used to launch the boat and we caught countless fish now at night. So I know I haven't answered your question, but soft plastics will work 100% during night. I actually find that I quite like going to small, like five and seven centimetre hard bodies with a tight shimmy action. You know, the old some of the reparlers. There's so many of those brim lures now that that are just superb for trout. But any of those that just make that tight shimmy action, displace a bit of water, work them close to the surface at night, the yep. trout will find them and they will nail them big time.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really good style of fishing. It's one thing I haven't actually done. Chased them, chased them in the day and did exactly what you said there about fishing fishing. I was fishing from a boat, the lake was falling and you basically had to land your plastic on the bank and within two cranks you were on and the water was filth, like I don't even know, like I could barely keep the plastic off the bottom and you're getting smashed by huge brownies. Yeah, um, yeah, but right. yeah, it's, it's good to know and I think we underestimate how well fish can feel and this goes for, I'm referring to trout goldens and cod I don't know if one has a better sensitivity than the other in picking up things but I think we think that they've got to be loud but they will they will they can pick up on the most subtle action and I've learned that over the last few years we used to never put it this way we never fished plastics in the dark four years ago and I didn't know anyone who did it I don't even think anyone fished in the dark for big winter cod and then all of a sudden we started fishing in the dark and using spinnerbaits. <laughs> yeah. And I used a spinnerbait until the sun come up and then I changed to a plastic. And then it's not until someone said, oh, I got a plastic like ten minutes before first light. It's like, All right, let's try it. And it worked. Like yeah. Th- yeah. We underestimate how well a fish can feel, I think. And yeah. even like even to the point where, you know, if you're like, Oh, I can't feel it swimming or I can't feel anything on my line, to them it's 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 loud, they know it's there.
1: Yeah, and look, mate, that, isn't that awesome? That's just the evolution of you of, of guys fishing or people fishing, you know, like trying those things and I think that's the thing that I've tried to get through in all the articles I've written for freshwater fishing around the soft, like whether it's trout fishing or whether it's golden perch or cod, is stick outside the box. Don't be governed or ruled by what you read or, you know, and I think they're the guys that, are the ones that yeah you know, sure you've got to do the basics right but think outside mm-hmm. the box if things aren't working it's not just a lure change that's going to will make the difference it might be a whole heap of other little things that you can do but don't be like you said this you know start throwing plastics at night Um it's the same thing it's and that changes from season to season so but what you said there mate it's a really good point I you know I fished Windermere and I fished Wyangala and. Few, few of the other um, lakes for goldens, and I remember I spent a lot of time, and this is where getting back to bank fishing, where just observing the little fish and the and how they behave around the edges, and what they do when they see danger, how they react, and one Mm -hmm. of the fish, one of the little fish, and I, I. I'm no fish biologist, but it looked like one of the uh, orange gobies that you sort of find in a lot of the western flowing rivers and, and lakes, and they sort of explode yeah. in some of those, particularly Windermere, and uh, along with the bony brim and all the other food, is, hence why it's just you know, got a ridiculous... Uh, one one the fisheries have got the stockings exactly right in that, for the amount of food and the size of the lake, which is a real balancing act yeah. for our fisheries managers, but... Again, digress a bit, but mate, we, I used to watch these little um, gobies and how they would react when, that, when, a, when a seagull would fly over or a perch come past or my lure would come past them. Yep. And I, so what I actually did is I got a couple of um, suspending hard bodies, or flo- sorry, floating hard bodies, and what I did is add some, I added some aldite to them. It was a bit of trial and error. But I got it to the point where they would not suspend, but they'd actually really, really slowly sink because that's what those little fish did. When they had oh, really? danger, so yeah. Instead of you think, Dating. oh, their first reaction. Exactly, you first as a human, you think, oh, the first reaction. Let's they're going to flee straight into some weed bed under a rock. What these fish did is they just almost froze and they dropped, and their tail actually dropped as they receded down, and then they just lie a doggo flat on the bottom of the the um, bank. And because we're yep. walking the edge, I could see them do it. So anyway, I eventually got this suspending mid arm. Like the next trip, I went up just couldn't keep the golds off my lure. And this, wow. lure, this lure had no action. Like, it, it was literally just would come almost straight and had a really tight shimmy. Golds would follow hard it body, in. like yep.
0: a little hard body. Yeah, it was
1: just a little seven mil. It was a little bit like a um, one of the old bushy stiffies, stiffy minnows yep. that are pretty, I know they discontinue now. It was similar to that, that sort yep. of size um, body. And the golds would actually follow it. All the way down, as it was suspending, it wasn't moving. All of, well, it was moving, but it was just dropping down the water column to the bottom, and you'd just watch them all the way down, and then they'd stick their nose, and you could just see them the next to me. The gills would flare up, and they just engulf it, and the lure, your lure just disappears in a puff of puff of uh, yeah, puff of dirt, and you're on. And it was, mate, so, it was just amazing. And it was, I think it comes back to that powers of observation, walking the bank, seeing what those yes.
0: fish do. Yes, yes, that's what I was going to say that's what I was going to say, you, you will pick up and learn so much more or not more or well, probably more but a different aspect from being on the bank. Like those things you would never see in a boat. And then when in a boat, when you're whizzing around and doing this and doing that, you don't actually take the time to look at the environment and what goes on and how the fish behave and how they feed and you just get told use this lure cast that do that, that's how it works. So, like you've got to know and understand how to fish, but then to get to that next level you have to understand how things behave and that's that's so true. Like you would think that they would flee and then obviously if it was a different species, maybe if it was a redfin that's, you know, as big as your palm, their reaction might be to flee. But that's exactly when you're chasing right, a different fish. Like exactly. you're Yep. Yeah, you've got to get the right bait in. Like, you could have had a different system with a similar size bit of bait that actually does flee. But in that scenario, you they they did what you explained, yep. and obviously you yes. represent that, yep. and then you catch fish. That's, so
1: mate, you, that's yeah. exactly right, and that's the that's the oh no the thing that just you know, even as we're talking, you know, it gets me excited. You know, just it really what drives you, you know, and. Part of what I've found over my, I suppose, evolution of my fishing life over the last 45 years is that this is that these are the things that really drive me to try to work them out, but not just not just fish, not just go fishing, but yep. understand the environment they live in. You know, and I mate the last just the last probably six weeks I've been walking the Murrumbidgee River here around Canberra and into New South Wales and I haven't been taking the rod. I've just been... And that's, some of it's nearly killed me, mate, because I'm getting a bit long in the tooth and all that sort of thing. But yeah. but, but going to areas instead of... You know, Google Maps shows you um, a little bit, but what, yep. what do I want to stand on to maximise where my spinnerbait's going to go through to get a cod or get a yellow belly? And, and I... You sort of Some people go, why didn't you go fishing? Because if you go, you take a rod, you end up spending two hours on a spot and then all of a sudden your day's gone and you just end up fishing. So of, what I've done over the last, like I said, six six weeks is I've probably got now, I've got a really clear picture of where I want to fish along. Like I said, there's 70 kilometres of the Murrumbidgee just in the ACT and I'm fortunate to have access to a few other areas outside. But I now have my whole winter and even, you know, come the... Uh, once this, after the season reopens in December, I've got a whole bit of areas I'm going to have a look at now. Try to find some clean water, but spots to fish. So it's understanding the environment. That's what, to me, that's what drives me more than going out and smashing you know, yep. 40, 40, 50 fish every trip.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the good thing about trout and yellows is you can really key it in because there's a lot of scenarios, especially in powerments and lakes, where you can actually see the fish, see the bait, see what they're doing in against the edge. Yeah. The thing about yeah. cod is it's a little bit more difficult um, one thing we do for cod is we do a bit of uh, at night and you've got to bring yourself to do it. Like you just said, you've got to not take the rod. If you took the rod, you would cast. So by leaving the rod, you've only got one option and that's to do what you were there to do. So, And it's hard to do this as well. But in the dams, it, and we need to do it more, is scan the edge of the lake in the dark with a torch and look for whatever the food is, look for the size of them, look for what they do yeah, because yeah. they do a totally different thing in the day to what they do at night and those low light periods and that's the periods where the cod are really keyed in and feeding. So, it's those little things trying to work out what they're feeding on and that, that just helps you get fish. It's like a mate of mine who fishes at my whaler uses swim baits and I brought this swim bait down. He's like, it won't work. I said, why? He said, it's too narrow. He says, nothing in it looks like that. Like, you might catch one or two but you want yep. one that has the right presentation of a carp, the right size, and you'll get the fish. And, and it's so true. So I, I love exactly everything you said then. It's, it's unreal. And, th- and then with that hard body you were talking about, when it's suspended, you caught a way less fish than when it sunk?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, like it was interesting because I was using the same lure or a similar lure and I was getting quite a few follows. And anyone who's fished, uh windermere or wine even barrenjack in the not so much now but when there used to be a quite a quite a few weed beds when the water was up around 70 percent, you could get goldens around the edges quite often is you know they're notorious followers goldens they drive you nuts like you just think what am i doing wrong but i'll follow you all the way with their nose right on your back treble hook and then i'll just go now i'm not interested in swim one well. I, I know everyone out there has experienced it but yeah. And, and, and as soon as I suspended, or oh, sorry, as soon as I paused, and because it was a floating timber lure, just, the, the golem's just lost interest. Because what fish does that?
0: that yeah, exactly. it's, it's just,
1: you know, no fish rises to the surface without moving. So yeah. they were more tapped into feeding more than just out of, and there wasn't enough curiosity in for them. Because occasionally, you know, the old days when we used to use the old storm hot and tots and wee warts, when you suspend them, they'd actually back almost as they, as they sorry, when we pause them and as they float, they'd almost float back into the face of the yellow belly. So I think then they're curious to follow it, then all of a sudden it's in their face, I'm just going to bite it, and they'd do a reaction bite. Quite yep. often you get quite a light lip hook on the big goldens, but these fish were just like losing interest, so I thought, I've got to try something, and then the suspending just worked a treat, because it was replicating what those little gobies were doing, and um, it was it was just perfect, mate. But I, I really like your point, what you said, Roy, there about in a different waterway that that bait fish could react completely differently. And I think that's yeah. where you can't just say one method that works yeah. at Wyangler is going to work at Windermere or is going to work at Blowering. It's and, and, and this is where people new to fishing they go, well, hang on, it's the same fish. It's a golden perch. It's a Murray cod. Yes. brown trout. And it's, the same, it's, mate, it's even the same up at, say, Fishing Tantangra as to, say, Fishing Eukenbeen. You know, yeah. up the top end of, U, of Tantangra where the Bidji runs in, you know, like some of the methods we use there, the, the, the brownies react quite differently to sometimes some of the fish in Eukenbeen or even the Jindermine. So, and again, yeah, that just comes from experience, but and, it, and it's a hard thing when you, you're telling newcomers that all this, you know, you say fishing's a fairly simple sort of exercise, but... Far out! It can drive you nuts with the amount of variables and detail that we can get into, but that's what keeps us going, doesn't it, mate?
0: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I gets me excited just talking about it, like this whole podcast. You're like, we wow, actually really no bugger all, um, and there's so much more to oh, learn. Mate, I think but, you're
1: I think you're underestimating yourself. You know, mate, I think it, you know the things that you you and I've talked about off the phone, and you know you probably underestimate and and look this is the beauty of the podcast mate what you're doing is an amazing tool to circuit to to get out to people all and and, you know all these other anglers i mentioned that you you've spoke to like it's just getting everyone's perception and perspective on fishing yeah is building this raft of knowledge like you're walking around like an encyclopedia and it's just getting bigger and bigger you know like it's and that's where it's just going to explode i think fishing now is that you know The Murray Cod on, on, you know, swim baits is a classic example. There's been nothing that we've ever seen in the Australian fishing community like it, where it's just, you've now got... People with specific Murray cod outfits, you know, like it's great. It's it's just so good for everything, everyone. You know, it's, uh, yeah,
0: exactly, okay. exactly. There, and the, and there's and you know how you're talking about there's like the fish here reacts different to the fish here. Well, the fish here reacts different next week in the same spot <laughs> oh, to the no, week later. <laughs> so for people listening, I believe there's a there's a there's a line a timeline. You've got to. And and sometimes the hardest part is the very start when you, have, you know nothing and that's where you can learn a massive amount from other people, from reading, from watching videos, from something like this podcast. You can go from having no idea to, right, I've got a good understanding, I'm out there, I'm catching a few fish, I'm enjoying this, it's good and then from then on... It's learning things from people but putting the time in mixed with those things and trial and error and time and doing lots of things to learn yourself. So, there's there's kind of two parts to it, I believe. But the learning never stops from other people. Like you've got to continue both. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I feel like if you were to start just based on uh, being out there on the water and time, it would take you forever and I don't think you'd ever get anywhere. I think you need the mixture of knowledge from other people plus the time that then gets you to an angler where you are extremely – like you can get some really good fish in that 10% rule, that 90-10 rule. You're, you're a 10% of the anglers who get 90% of the fish. So, there's yeah, a mixture right. of both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I've got two more quick questions because this is – this is, it's, it's so good. I love it. Um, and you can answer this as quickly or as long as you want. It's up to you. Barometer for trout. Does barometer affect trout? What what's your thoughts? Because it's a huge thing with cod, and, and and well, we we know it's a huge thing with cod based on um, how fish the fish behaves. We actually I don't think we know exactly what it does to them, but we can come to an assumption of you know it does affect them. Trout on the other hand, do you do you feel barometer has much of an impact? Because usually with windy, wet, crappy conditions is poor barometric pressure because it, it correlates to weather conditions and that poor conditions usually means better trout fishing so yeah, what's yeah. your opinion on the brometer
1: I, I mean there's there's absolutely no doubt brometer affects every fish there is no question because it's you know the the pure um biology um and autonomy of, of those of fish is that their swim bladder is affected by the barometer yep. so basically the gravity on the earth and you know I, you don't want to don't turn this, this into a science project or a science episode but Every fish is affected by the bromel. There's no doubt about it. But like you said, I actually quite like for trout. And look, you're going to have it outliers. You're going to have times where you'll catch fish where everything's wrong. You know, I've gone out. To, yes. I've gone out to the river when the bromel was 996. It was drizzle. It was like six degrees on a mid-December morning, and I didn't want to go. But mate dragged me out. Mate, we we caught six cod. In, in an yeah. like it was ridiculous like it was everything i knew about cod fishing it was the worst conditions ever but we got six fish so I you know and that's not that's not a one-off but from a trout perspective what i've found is that um an unstable barometer so it could be rising or it could be plummeting is good the trout and right. i and i think mate i'm, I'm I, I believe the same for natives as well i think an unstable barometer if you've got a stable even a high stable barometer for cod and yellow belly, yeah, is definitely good. But if you've got an unstable barometer, it doesn't matter where it is. If it's yep. unstable at 996 or around 1,000, um, then the fishing is good. But from a what, what I've found generally in the snowy mountains is that... Um, and it, it, a lot of the time, the barometer shift will come with a wind change as well. And mm-hmm. if you've had quiet fishing or the fishing's been mediocre and then you get a wind change, often if you look, and with the, all the apps we've got these days and connectivity you can see a change in the barometer is that's when the fish will bite. Sometimes, generally it's a dropping barometer is, yep. is, is what I've found is good for trout, but Mate, again, it's it's one of those things. I don't know if it's an exact science. Like it, we, we do yeah. all know as anglers, we know that barometer affects all fish because of the way it affects their swim bladder. And if they didn't have a swim bladder, then they'd basically gravity would push them to the bottom of the. Um, they wouldn't be able. They'd have to be in a continual uh, forward momentum with inertia because they couldn't. They'd actually have to keep moving. They'd have to keep swimming. Yes. So when they stop swimming, they need a swim bladder to actually balance them out. Um, yeah to balance them, and that's where the barometer affects their swim bladder. So, um, yeah, so from a trout perspective, mate, I quite like an unstable barometer. It doesn't, and plummeting is actually a good thing.
0: Yeah, and you would say the same for natives, as you just mentioned, um, that that movement, and a lot of, and I agree, I agree with you, and, and un, a, a, a quick drop or a quick rise or moving, and that's what a lot of people go with that. that is, is good for natives but i also have seen and experienced some cracking sessions especially when it comes to empowerment cod on high high barometers yeah. um and, yeah. and that's based on the fact that they're continually in a mood uh, a, 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 like a happy to feed mood for the entire length of your session yeah. and because your casts are never always in front of them um you've got more chance of getting them over a 10-hour period where they're sort of fairly decently happy over getting them when they're like super feeding for like an hour on a dropping barometer, but you might not be in the right spot for that hour. That's how I look at your yeah. cotton impoundments with yeah. barometers.
1: Good point, mate. Very interesting, yeah. Interesting but point,
0: but yeah. in a river, in a river, you know your lure's on that fish every cast. Like he's, he's there, he's within a metre of that cast every single time. And yep. if you do get that unstable barometer that that that's when they really switch on and you've got a good chance of getting one in that hour you know what i mean yes
1: absolutely and th- yeah.
0: and that'd be what you agree to with the the natives and and and, and for trout as well obviously
1: yeah absolutely mate 100
0: yeah cool well that's good that's good to to know um because barometer was something i wasn't too sure i know it affected trout but i didn't know if it was something that's something you really look into but then again would you say that the the wind and other conditions you lean more to with the uh, for trout sorry you lean more towards for trout over the barometer like if the barometer is not doing what you want it to do but your other conditions are good you're still going to go fishing aren't you
1: absolutely yeah 100% and I think the, probably, probably the thing there that, that I would be looking at or hoping for is a change is some sort of wind change like I've there is but it depends. You get on the water. If the fish are biting, then great. You're happy. It doesn't matter. You know what the conditions yep. are. If fishing's tough, you're wanting you want something to change because particularly if you're seeing fish or you're getting fish follow your lure. And often, you know, I've, I've been up the mountains and you get follow after follow after follow, but they're just not hitting. And it's not a matter of changing lures. Your lure's right. You've you've, you've tweaked their interest. So don't. I think anglers get too caught up in having two hundred lures in a tackle box. They've got to swim one hundred and fifty of them in that one session. You know, a lot of the yeah. time you go back to a couple of your old favourites because you've caught fish before. If you've tweaked their, you've tweaked their interest and they're following you in, then all you need to do is something in regard or well, nothing you can do. You've got to wait for a weather change. And I don't know how many times I've been up at Eucumbene or Jindabyne fishing, just praying. You know, you know there's a change coming in at about between eleven and one o'clock that change hits and all of a sudden those followers have just turned into biters so those same fish are now hitting your lure you know like yep. they're, they're lit up they've got a different you can mate you would you know this with golds and trout particularly when you're getting followers and I've had a few cod do it you can just tell by looking at a fish if he's going to eat your lure they, are, yeah. they have a, they have a body language you try to explain I'll explain this to some of the Girls I work with and I just think that you actually lost the plot completely and, and you need to be locked up. But you, you know, fish have a body language and they have a body language yes. that tells you they're going to feed and they're going to eat. Mm-hmm. There's other ones that you'll, you'll soon follow them and you go and you'll walk away from them and go. You just know they're not going to eat. You just know. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's um,
0: it's it's another
1: cool part of our fishing.
0: Yeah, and people you're fishing with go, well, go back, go back. Like I had to follow. I'm like, yeah, don't even worry about it. Like, yeah. like move on. You're wasting yeah. your time. Yes, yes, totally agree, totally agree, mate. We've uh, we've been going for that long, and we've covered so much awesome content. I just want to finish up with a question um, that I love to ask everyone. And do you have? And I know you've caught a lot of fish. Do you have one fish that is your most memorable experience, fresh or salt, either or? Um, is there one in particular uh, that you can share with me? Whether you caught it, whether Mitch caught it, is there one fish in particular that just sticks in your mind as one of the most incredible experiences?
1: Oh mate, it's it's as I, you know, probably my most memorable capture, um, and I've been fortunate to have a few, but I think I got uh, three years ago I got a kingy off the rocks on fairly light line that actually would have gone between twenty six and twenty eight kgs on on 15 kg line and it was um, on braid, it was spinning with a soft plastic um, and mate it was like a torpedo coming out from the depths, I was fishing off the rocks in New Zealand come up, ate my lure, um, had me buried in kelp for, uh, one of the fellas videoed it so I was on that fish for 47 minutes Wow and um, yeah it had, like I said, 30 pound braid and uh, I think I had 30 pound or 40 pound lure it was only a light a light relatively light outfit for a fish that big and to land that in the spot we were fishing the environment like we're on a fairly high ledge so just to land not only to get it to the edge it was pretty memorable but mate as i get older now i actually enjoy the experience of seeing other guys catch fish i really do the guys i'm fishing with and mitch got a um his pb uh caught out of murrumbidgee a few years ago now but it was um i think it was 106 off the surface and I can, I've relived that so many times in my head, yeah. st- you know, standing 20 metres, but to see this fish, and it was, mate, it was the, the cod took a, like I a surface paddler, but the take was actually in front of me, and it was like a three pound brown fr- rainbow trout, sorry, yeah, three pound rainbow trout taking a royal wolf off the surface. It was like a,
0: kidding.
1: the yeah. most gentle <laughs> off the surface, yeah. and, and, and we didn't know. I said, oh, mate. What's that? Because we had, we'd caught a couple of goldens, and I said, "What do you got?" And he goes, "No, this is decent. This is decent, Dad." Anyway, next night <laughs> she's cut up and rolled on the surface, and it was in some running water at the head of a pool. And I've gone, oh, yeah. "Mate, this is your meter So that was that was a. Um, wow. Yeah, I've been through that a few times. So anyway, the bugger doesn't let me forget it as well because it's um be- bigger than my best fish out of the river. So yeah, it was a yeah. cracker. Was <laughs> you a, never will. Never will fish. until
0: you. Till you overtake him, he will never let you live it down, that's for sure. That's so yeah. good. so Yeah, good. no, it was a Mate,
1: spectacular.
0: That's awesome. Um, I really appreciate uh, sitting down and having a chat, and I'm hoping in the future, in a few months' time, you'd be happy to jump back on again, because I didn't even get to talking to you about natives the way I wanted to and I had like that many more questions and I think it went we went into and you went into some really good detail so I want to thank you for that um for for all those tangents you took all those deep the things you talked about in detail and sharing with people I and I'm sure a lot of listeners really appreciated that mate so um thanks heaps and thanks heaps for your time for being on the podcast um and I hope we can have a chat in the future if, if you'd be keen
1: yeah absolutely my pleasure mate and love to do it again and like i said it's um yeah only probably only negative mate on that keen cool. i want to go for a fish now
0: yeah well <laughs> well um, just i'm sure to... you don't want to hear it i'm about to go like this was i was teed this podcast up with you and i was like yeah that's not too bad because i'll, I'll do the podcast and then i'm hitting the water so <laughs> it's <laughs> probably that, not what you want to hear. but i'm about to yeah I'm good luck happy to Hope you catch a few yeah, yeah, off yeah, to blaring, so chances, you know, pretty low with blaring, but yeah, Well, mate, I, gotta...
1: I, I think the other thing too, from a, from a fisherman's perspective and being around the traps a bit, I, you know, you should, I think we should be thanking people like you for getting this amount of information out in a condensed, you know, free to anyone who wants to download it is just like amazing, you know, what you guys at Social Fishing doing is just, uh, you know, so heads and shoulders above anything else out there from a from a learning perspective is amazing. So yeah, well I think we should be thanking you, Bruce, rather than uh, you thanking us.
0: Oh, cheers mate. No, I'm happy to it was it all started, yeah, I was young and it was just hard to find info and I thought when I learn it just want to share it with people and that was six seven years ago and then through that it just evolved and then mate said why don't you do a podcast because they're so easy to listen to and Mm. yeah it's it's, it has been the one of the best things we've created with like with the articles and the videos and all the website content we um we've received heaps of awesome feedback on the podcast but um no it's my pleasure mate and yeah thanks for that really appreciate it
1: thanks ruse and we'll um we'll do this again sometime soon
0: yes we will do thanks andy appreciate it mate mate And there it is, guys. What a cracker of an episode. I bet you're spewing that it has just ended. I wanted it to continue to go, but obviously, we both are. We only have a limited amount of time. But I could have talked to Andrew for hours, dead set hours and I will definitely get him back on in the future because there are so many different cool things we can talk about and I like the episodes that go really in-depth and they go off track and we talk about some incredible things like he talked about with those fish, how he put a little bit of arrow diet on his hard body to get it to sink because that's what the fish were doing in the shallows. So, And this is why fly anglers are very, very keyed into what they do because they're always right on the waterway, on the system, looking for the food, trying to match what's going on and if you can apply that mindset to lure fishing or even bait fishing you're going to catch a lot more fish rather than just tying on a lure and going and casting like we talked about you've got to work out where they are what they're doing and represent exactly what they're feeding on and that's why bank walking as andrew is saying is really successful so and I love doing it too. I love getting in the boat, zooming across somewhere, getting out and walking. That's how I chase big cod on surfaces. I walk on the bank because it's more effective. You don't spook as many fish and we've got plenty more details on all that inside the membership. But that—that that is just, understanding what you're doing and doing key things that helps bring success and that's what that episode was all about Andrew really opened right up and covered so many, so many good things and I really do appreciate his time and also everyone else's time that we get um, on this podcast because I know time's valuable and it's great to know that they're happy to share content with you guys and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. Now another thing guys, you can submit listener questions so in the next, one of the next episodes coming up soon, Talis and I are going to jump back on and do our Another listener questions episode. The last one we did was really, really good. We had about 7 to 10 listener questions from you guys and we went in-depth on them. So if you guys have a listener question, shoot it through and you can do that on the Social Fishing website. Jump on the Social Fishing website, sign up for a free account. You can join a free account. You get access to the Freshwater Mini Series, which is a a series we put together that teaches you how to catch yellows, cod and trout. Check it out, and then inside that free account, you can also submit listener questions, which come straight to us that we put aside for the listener questions episode. We haven't had one of them for a couple of months now, but uh, due to COVID, I haven't been able to tee up an episode with Tao, but we are doing one very, very soon. And we're going to go over the listener questions and a few things from our recent trips. So that should be a cracker of an episode coming up soon. And we have some more keen anglers uh, that we have interviewed uh, in the pipeline coming up soon. And if you want us to interview, interview anyone in particular. If you have anyone on your list that you'd love us to talk to or even if you've got a specific question that you want us to ask a specific angler, shoot that through because we could come up with some incredible topics that I would never have thought about or conversations or questions that you guys have thought about. So, shoot them all through. The more stuff, the better so that we can cater and build this podcast to suit you guys better it's the end of winter at currently if you're listening to this when it comes out uh the cod fishing is going well obviously if you're chasing trout as well like andrew was saying it's a great time to get up in the lakes the snow mountains lakes and chase trout so i hope you guys have been getting out there and catching some good fish once again just a recap If you want reports, if you want maps, if you want videos, content, heaps of extra stuff on freshwater fishing, we have launched the Social Fishing Membership. It's a big platform. Uh, It's been in the making for years and it is going to be where we put most of our time and effort to help you guys. That's our goal is to help as many of you guys out there as we can so if you want up-to-date reports on all different waterways uh, if you want plenty of tips and also the maps on those lakes go check out the social fishing membership at socialfishing.com.au guys thanks for downloading and listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it uh, whether you were listening to it in the car uh, at work or whatever it was to fill in time uh, i do hope you enjoyed it and until the next one get out there go catch some fish my name is creed and thank you for listening to the social fishing podcast